you to know that I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed by the kindness of God. Jesus is the kindest person you'll ever meet. He is so kind. He is full of kindness. And as I was in my prayer closet praying a couple weeks ago, I felt like the Lord wanted me to say something to all of us because summer is here, July and August. And I felt like he was telling me he wanted me to tell you something. So I meditated and prayed a lot about it. And I felt like he wanted all of us to know that during this July and August, he wants us to, to I'm better to test my notes here. He wants us to do random acts of kindness, random acts of kindness. And then he said, pay it forward. Now many of you are familiar with the movie, pay it forward. This man was giving another man a very expensive vehicle with the stipulation that he would have to pay it forward. He would have to do something for someone else. And so as I began to meditate on this, things began to happen. <laughs> Confirming, obviously, for me, but anyway, things began to happen. And Don went out to Cagney's for breakfast, and somebody paid for his breakfast. Random act of kindness. And there was nobody in the restaurant that he knew. There it was. They paid it for his breakfast. So Don paid it forward. He gave the waitress a good tip. Okay, that, so that was what started it all. And there were many, many other things that happened during the last two weeks that made me realize that during July and August, we have an assignment. We are to do a random acts of kindness, and we are to pay it forward. If somebody blesses you, you find somebody and you bless them. And while I was meditating on all of this, many things happened, but I thought I would go on the computer and I thought I would check with the uh, state of our medical bills because most of you know Don's been in the hospital four times since last fall. And I was thinking, oh, I better check and see what the medical bill is saying. And I looked and there was our payments, 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 payments. And it came down to May the 27th. And I looked and it said we had paid $800. And I thought, no, we don't even have $800 to pay on a medical bill. And I thought, no, this must be a mistake. Something happened. So I got on the phone and I called the head office. And I said, I looked at my medical report and the bills that we paid. And I said, it says that we paid $800 on May the 27th. And she said, let me look it up. So she looked it up. Sure enough, we had paid $800. <laughs> off the medical bill on May the 27th. Well, I, I, she couldn't tell me anymore. So the person has to be anonymous. Somebody paid $800 on our medical bill. Yeah, <laughs> and I have been overwhelmed by the kindness of God. Amen. And if you know Jesus, you know he's the kindest person you'll ever meet. He is so kind. And you know, kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So be you kind one to another. So happy to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pat Selby. My beautiful wife, Grace, is in upstate New York on her way back here. She had to go help with a family matter. And so she's greeting you from afar. But we started um, with this family in 1995. 
when they first planted the church in, on Presley Road in Charlotte. Were any of you there for that? Yeah. So I'm an old timer. I belong. I'm family. Um, even if you don't know me, I hope you get to know me a little bit. Um, but just, just know that um, I should be able to get away with a little bit, right? Because of those credentials. You guys have to forgive me. You know, you let your family get away with stuff you might not let your neighbor get away with, and you certainly wouldn't let a stranger get away with. So I'm going to plead that one. But um, real quick, um, we, we live in Kenya full-time, and we work in Kenya and Tanzania. We dig and drill about 100 wells a year. So that's kind of a cool deal, and any of you guys that were part of Zayo when we started as Zayo, you're part of that. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Before I do, let me get the word from our sponsor out of the way. Um, we've written a couple of books, and if you buy these books, you'll help us. All the money goes to print books in Africa that we can distribute there to people that they, they can't pay 10 bucks for a book, but they need it. So this book's called Money God's Way. How many of you know that Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he did about prayer? Because he knew we had to deal with it every day. It's a big part of our lives. So he had a lot to say about it. This book is mostly about scripture. I don't tell you how to manage your credit card or 401k or any of that stuff. It, it's about God's perspective on money. Warning, this thing will make you want to drain your bank account for the Lord. And store treasure up in heaven. Because that's the real deal. That's back there for $10. Please, there's only 10 of them. Can you guys handle that? Also... Uh, we have a CD put together. John Mark McMillan produced this. Man, it is who's who. Molly Williams did a song. Leonard Jones, Susie Yari, Rita Springer, Jonathan Helser all did songs on this. It is really, really good. It's only $10 as well. All the money for this will go straight to Africa. Okay? And then I've got another little book I wrote when everybody was freaking out over COVID last year. It's called, What Say You? And, and I imagined people being like, they didn't know what to do with this woman. They threw her at his feet and said, what say you? She was caught. And we all wonder, because we've all been caught. Lord, what is your real heart on the failures of humanity? And so this is kind of that question posed to the Lord, kind of about COVID. Who really likes to read? Who said... There you go, brother. Give it to somebody else. Thank you to my rapping brother. Um, before we get started, well, let me just give you a little. Are you guys ready for the rain today? Well, let me ask you this. If you're ready for the rain, are you ready for the thunder? Because recently, man, I've been spending a lot of time in the words in red. And, you know, we tend to... We tend to go to Paul and let him explain things, especially about Jesus, because Paul's not so thunderous. But, but it's supposed to be thunderous. It's supposed to get our attention. It's not easy. Jesus promised it's not easy. So if it's easy right now, what does that say about what we're doing? But here, here's, the, here's the thunder before I start my message, because the, the thunder comes before the rain. There was one teaching of Jesus that's in all four Gospels. Only one. Lose your life. If you try to hold on to your life, he said, you will lose it. But if you 
lose your life, not for the sake of alcohol or greed or lust, but if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Man, that's the only teaching that's in all four Gospels. That's something. Um, I want to start. Can we run that video? Are you ready back there for that? I was in Tanzania sitting on my balcony and I looked over the balcony and caught eyes with a young man who ran up to me and said, give me water. One of the crisis situations in the world is the waterborne disease crisis. There are just under 700 million people on the planet that lack access to safe, clean drinking water. Right now, there are about 2,000 children a day under the age of five that die due to waterborne diseases. That's the equivalent of about 75 school buses full of kindergartners that perish every single day. What we do at Hydrating Humanity is provide access to safe, clean drinking water. We provide hygiene education. We have indigenous people on the ground who are doing this work, who are helping change the lives of hundreds of thousands of people every day. We get to play a part. We get to have a role in changing this right now, helping villages have safe, clean drinking water for the first time in their history. Thousands or tens of thousands of years never had clean drinking water. We can provide that for them right now. I invite you to be a part of this with us by joining One Tribe. One Tribe is a community of generous people that give every month, month in and month out. 100% of your gifts fund clean water projects in Africa and are tax deductible. You can make a difference. Join One Tribe today. That was Matt Peterson who founded our organization and uh, has a church in Winston-Salem called Awake. Um, I'm going to start with talking to you just a little bit about our ministry in Africa. Is that okay? And then I just want to encourage you guys, you can get involved with our ministry and with, um, I forgot Becky's sister's name, but I loved her her little sharing up here. You can get involved with ministries like that online now. It's so easy without ever leaving your living room. Uh, it's almost shameful if we're not all doing something like that. So let me just encourage you. Find a missionary that's doing something good and help them. One of my favorite things to do in Africa is to drive down these long, dusty roads, sometimes 50 miles long, and pull up to a school, and there'll be 800 kids all dressed in rags, held together with homemade safety pins, smiling from ear to ear. Just so happy to see us, so happy to be alive. And usually every time, the headmaster of the school will grab me by the hand and say, let's walk. And he'll walk me around and he'll start telling me about his vision for these kids. And again, this is out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows who this guy is or this lady or what they're doing. Nobody cares. 
but they're there losing their life. And it's, when I hear them, it's incredible. Some of God's best people, no kidding, are down a long, dry, dusty road 50 miles long in the middle of nowhere, Africa. Because the Lord has placed them there. He's buried them there in some regards. And why? Man, the Lord loves children. He really, really loves children. Think of how he singled them out so many times. I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, we work in really remote places in Kenya and Tanzania, not because it's easy, but almost because it's hard. You know, we ask the Lord, like David's mighty men, you know, they heard David, remember, outside of the Bethlehem. I think it was the Philistines had sieged Bethlehem, and David said, I long for a drink from that well that's right next to the gate. Remember that? Because the enemy was in control of that. And it wasn't that that water tasted good or special. It was that David realized the enemy's in control of this, and this is wrong. This shouldn't be this way. If I could just walk up to that well as it's meant to be and take a drink as it's meant to be. And remember, his guys snuck out and risked their lives to get him a bucket of water. And that was so precious to him. He poured it out before the Lord as a drink offering. And I just think of these areas out in the middle of nowhere where people don't have even safe, clean drinking water. It shouldn't be that way. Just because we are on this side of the battle line and we're with the army and we're protected, we are the army. Well, if we're the army, let's, let's go out and do something, right? But we're in these remote areas and it's hard and people often ask me, why are your wells so expensive? I hear they do wells sometimes in India and different places for like $500. Why is it $6,000? That's a good question. Um, you know, any of you guys that have had to drill here know about the granite, right? Everybody's water has to go, you got to go through the granite to get to it, and it's expensive. Well, the area of Kenya and Tanzania that we're at, the geologists call it the granite zone. You can't dig down into the sand and soft dirt 50 feet and get water like you can in many places of the world. Those wells only cost 500 bucks. But we're in a spot where no one else, when we got there, no one else was working doing water. That was in 2005. In 2021, we're still the only ones working there because it's hard and it's expensive. But we've asked the Lord, Lord, tell us what you want done that you can't get anybody else to do. And man, I just, you know, I'm going to leave today so you guys can get mad at me and I won't even know. <laughs> So let me just challenge you. I dare you. I double dog dare you to pray that to the Lord. I want you to think about it first. Don't pray it without thinking about it. But I double dog dare you to say, Lord, is there something around me that you can't get anybody to do? Imagine, what if you could do something for the Lord that no one else will do for him? Would that be powerful? I mean, look at it from that side. That's like, yes. You would, if somebody said there's an envelope with instructions in there and the Lord can't get anybody to do this, 
Wouldn't you want to run and grab that envelope thinking whatever, whatever it costs, I'll be, I'll be the one, right? So, so there you go, double dog dare you. We have a drill rig now, it's a big one. Have you guys ever seen these drill rigs driving around Wilkes County? They're big, aren't they? They're loud. They get your attention. Imagine what it's like for these villages and schools when we pull up, when the drill rig shows up. It's awesome. I wish you guys could see it. It's like they think the president is coming, but something better than the president is coming. And that drill rig has the potential. Our guys take such good care of it. It will probably keep drilling wells until Jesus returns. And I just want to invite you guys to be part of that. Um, there's something called the law of large numbers. And do you guys remember, like, we're the baby boomers, a lot of us in this room, and then Gen X, and I forget all of them, the millennials. But our grandparents and some of your parents were part of the greatest generation. That's what they were called. And they were the greatest. And, you know, they were born, um, it was a real depression. These things we've experienced the last 20 years, it's nothing. People tell me, every time I come home from furlough, oh, it's getting so bad. And I think, man, it's been getting bad forever. When I was a little boy, I'd sit and watch my dad drink coffee with all his friends, shake their head about how bad it was getting. I think we got it pretty good. I mean, it's really good here compared to everywhere else in the world. It's amazing, and we should, we should say that a little more often, but... These guys were born in the Depression, the greatest generation, and then they greeted World War II like this. We need to all come together and fix this. It's not even on our property. Hitler never came to America and probably never would have, but we knew this was wrong, so we joined together and it took all the Allied forces, right? The U.S. couldn't have done it by themselves. But the law of large numbers, everybody came together and they got the job done. Well, I want to encourage you guys that the law of large numbers can solve the waterborne disease problem in the whole world. There's no waterborne disease deaths in America. There's no cholera. There's no typhoid. It doesn't happen. People in Africa ask me, what do you guys do in America when typhoid breaks out? Because they want to learn and they want the advice. And I tell them it never happens. And they go, I know, but what about when it does happen? And I'm like, no, it never happens. And, you know, 15 years ago when we started, there were 1.2 billion people without safe, clean drinking water in the world. Fast forward 17 years, there's only 700 million. It's, it's almost been cut in half. Yeah. That's good. And... This is not the time to rest. You know, after V-Day, if they would have relaxed, Hitler could have gotten strong again, and he could have, he could have been a force to be reckoned with again. But they knew we got to clean this up. So there's a lot of people working in this space, but there's no one else working in the area we're in. So I would ask you guys to help us with the law of large numbers and get involved if you would. It's like this. The greatest generation did not know about the American dream. It wasn't there. 
The boomers started that. That's me. It's on me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for every time I talked about it. I'm sorry for every time I promoted it in many ways because what we did was we took the law of large numbers and we made it about ourselves, right? I told you I'm leaving. You can get mad at me and I won't even know it. We took, we took the law of large numbers and made it about filling our vats and barns. And then when our vats and barns got full, we said, hey, let's tear them down and build bigger ones, right? And that never ends, by the way. Nobody ever says, well, if we say it in our mind. If I can just get to here, I'll be set. We say that, right? But then when we get there, oh, well, what about? And then, and then we just finally go, well, what about the future? I don't know how much money I'm going to need, so let me just keep. And we do that to ourselves when the law of large numbers could be working for others. And we could solve this problem. So let me just give you this one, this one uh, fact to look at, this one statistic. For $25, it's actually $23 and change. We've studied this and measured it over the years. For our organization, for $25, you can provide safe, clean drinking water for one person for the rest of their life. That's powerful. Imagine that. So if, you, if you're so inclined, you can join something called One Tribe. And One Tribe is where we all put our money together into one pool. All the money in One Tribe goes to Africa. No... No admin here, promise. We've got other people that help support our admin, and then we get donations that say wherever you need it most, that covers our admin. So you can actually give 25 bucks a month and know that every bit of that is going to Africa. Okay, well, what if we all did that? What if everybody in this room did this? Because you could all afford it probably, right? Especially those of you on unemployment. Extra money. No kidding, though. I, I just uh, encourage you to come back, buy all of our books, and you can sign up, and I hope you do, to be uh, on one tribe. We'll just ping your credit card every month for however much you sign up for. For 25 bucks, you could provide water for a new person every month, and that would be for the rest of their life. So that'd be 12 people in a year that you gave water to in a permanent way, so it'd be for the rest of their life. That's powerful. I tell you what, the first person that comes back there and signs up, I brought a pound of Kenya coffee with me. It's yours. Beans. So they're fresh. Tony, you like coffee? Okay. Can I preach now? David told me not to go more than three hours. No, I'm just kidding. What he did tell me was he said, start a revival this morning. So I hope we get to do some of that. But I want to talk to you about Christianity as your superpower. Can I do that? Have you guys seen all the movies and TV shows that have come out in the last few years? Overwhelmingly, the big blockbusters that make all the money are about superheroes. And the story is always the same, basically. Here's a person being defeated, some big thug is tearing them up and they can't they're failing and then they discover they have a superpower they didn't even know about and somehow that's tied to their purpose and their calling and 
And the fact that they have this superpower is also tied to the fact, the reason why this thug is coming after them. You guys with me? And so, so they learn about their purpose, and then they realize, wow, this is a calling. And then, and then they have to go back and face the same exact, exact thing that was defeating this, but this time, once they've developed this superpower, they begin to shine, and they overcome in all this newfound strength. Well, Daniel talked about that thousands of years ago. He said there will be a day when the people of God know God. And what happens when they know God? Hmm? They, do, they do mighty exploits. Yeah, that's us. We're called to walk straight into the darkness and shine. We're not called to murmur. Ouch. We're not called to complain about how bad everything is getting, straighten out of all, all of our friends on Facebook. It doesn't work anyway. Does anybody ever straighten you out on Facebook? No. So what, <laughs> what makes us, well, they'll listen to this. I'm going to word this so well. We edit and edit. Then the next day we go, why did I send that? <sighs> We're not called to argue with everybody. Um... Nobody likes an arrogant super athlete, right? There's nothing worse than seeing somebody do something great on, in sports and then they, they do something really arrogant. Call all this attention to themselves or what they've done or how right they are. So I think as a people of God, we need to realize we have superpowers, but we need to be careful how we come across to people. I mean, we're going to live forever. We are indestructible. You can't touch this. You can touch this flesh, but that doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I tell people in Africa, you, you can't kill me, and they look at me, and I know what they're thinking. I could take this spear and run you through, and you would not survive. But it just, it isn't true. Let me tell you what would happen. It's not that much different than if I take my shirt off and throw it on the ground. It really isn't. This body, one day, will fall to the ground. And you will have to deal with it. I'm sorry about that, but I'll be gone. But I'm not going to die. I'm just going to take off the earth suit. And my spirit is going to be where it already is. We won't become seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's very clear that that's a past tense, perfected, perfect statement. We are seated with him. And I think my spiritual eyes will be opened in a way that I'll go, I've always been here. I've always been here and I knew it and darn it, why, didn't I, why did I only half believe it? Why did I only half walk in it? But it's because we have Christ in us. Think about that. Our, our greatest superpower often overlooked is that we can bring Christ into any situation. It doesn't matter what it is. The kingdom of God is near you. It's in you. The spirit of God dwells in you. You can walk into any situation, any time, and bring Christ into that situation. Or you can ignore Christ and just look at it with yourself in mind, like the American dream. Okay, somebody say amen so I can get a drink. I didn't come here to correct you guys. 
Some of you know me are going, yeah, you did. I'm really just here to try to tell you who you are, tell you who Christ is in you. Um, Let's see. You know, we sometimes think of Jesus as being like Superman. Have you guys ever had that? I've done it. But let me tell you, there is a little problem there because Superman walks alone. He's barely knowable. He swoops in and saves the day, and then he leaves. That's not Jesus. We think he's that way. He lives, Superman lives in a fortress of solitude, and he can't, he can't get too close to people because there's all these risks involved. And some people think, if I get too close to Jesus, who knows what he'll tell me to do, and then I'll either be disobedient or I'll lose my life. They think the opposite of what Jesus said. He said, you'll gain your life, but they think, what if I get too close to him and all of a sudden the Sermon on the Mount is what I hear him telling me to do? I can't do that. I can't give to everyone who asks. I can't lend to those even ones who won't repay me. I can't do that. My life will be lost. And we start disagreeing with the words in red. Okay, back to Superman. Um, God created us to be in his image. Um, I tell you what, it's probably going to take me a year before I'm really ready to talk about this very much, but God's got me studying the humanity of Jesus. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of your Bible. Don't be afraid of Jesus called himself Son of Man over a hundred times and Son of God only once. There's something about his humanity that's powerful. It's not limiting. When we forget his humanity and only see his deity, we, can't, we don't see something we can follow. Because who can be God? I can't be God. I can't be like God. I can't even see him. But I can be like Jesus because Jesus came and said, hey, follow me. In fact, if you follow me to those who believe, they will do greater works than I did. That's our calling. That's amazing that God wants us to be like the Son, isn't it? That's powerful. I couldn't have come up with that news. That's such good news. Think about it. Could you have come up with that? Like if somebody said, sit down and come up with the gospel. And there you are, you know, maybe living in the time of Leviticus. You never could have come up with that. It's so wonderful that he wants us to be just like him. Because he's that good. And we can trust him. And he's for that. Your salvation is so much more than just a prayer that you say. So when you die, you go to heaven. Thank you. Our salvation is for now. We live in this age and the way we're living every day right now is determining our eternity, our position and place in heaven. We all are saved by grace. It's a gift. You didn't do anything to earn it. You're not getting any better salvation than the next guy. You're not going to get any worse of salvation than the next guy. But there are, there are eternal rewards. It says, it says for eternal rewards, as each star, each sun, moon, and stars differ, in their glory, so it is with those in the life to come. 
in the age to come. Isn't that something? So, well, rabbit trails. How do you get back? Salvation. We pray this prayer to go to heaven when we die. Um, and then we live for ourselves. It's a big trap. And we have to remind ourselves about these things often. I think it's good for us. I'm not fussing at you. You don't feel fussed at, do you? Nobody nodded yes. That's good. Um, because it's possible to have even an effective ministry and still not be saved. Yes. Yeah, it's possible. If it wasn't possible and maybe even likely for some, the Lord himself would not have warned us. When we want to know about salvation, we really need to stick with the words in red yes. to really know, because he's the one who gives it, not Paul. He's the one who gives it. And it's possible for him to say, yeah, you did all these things. Because remember the one said, hey, we delivered, we healed, cast out demons. The Lord didn't say, no, you didn't. In fact, he said it's not possible to do those things with the wrong spirit because the kingdom would be divided against itself. If these things happen, the finger of God is here. So there's people that somehow in their ministry, the finger of God is around. But when they come to him, his words to them are, I don't know you. And I never knew you. That's not meant to get us to doubt our salvation. It's just meant to sober us up and say, we've got this one life here. We don't want to play around with it. You would think that when eternal life is being defined, it should be defined by God, right? So Jesus actually defined it. He, he said this priestly prayer that the night he was betrayed, and he said it in front of his disciples, and he knew John was going to write it down, and he knew it was going to be in the Bible. And he knew we were going to make a big deal out of it, because that's Jesus praying right before going to the cross. So Jesus, speaking to the Father, in front of the disciples, says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the living God, and Christ whom you've sent. Is that powerful? Eternal life is a relationship. He defined it right there. God's telling us how much he values us. I don't want this without relationship with you. There's a couple things we have to always remind ourselves of because the world is so distracting. We need to walk with our brothers and sisters. We can't deny that because the Lord made so many of us and he wants us coming together and it's precious to him. Unity is precious to the Lord. We need to walk with our brothers and sisters, but with the Lord in mind. Because if he's not there, something's missing. And it can, it can be less than what it should be. The other thing we need to remember is when we're with the Lord, we're also mindful of our brothers and sisters. Because when we do either one all by itself, it gets weird. You can really be passionate for the Lord but not spend time with Him, but you're with a bunch of other people that are real passionate for the Lord and they're doing all these activities. But it starts getting weird when you're not really connecting with Him. And the same thing can happen with people that say, you know what, I don't need people. I get that, but it's still wrong. I mean, 
if it sucks to be me, <laughs> then it probably sucks to be you. So I don't need you. I don't need me. I just need the Lord. It's real easy to get into that. But that's messed up too. But the Lord really, he not only wants us together, he wants us together with him. And he not only wants us with him, he wants us with him together with everyone else, if I can say it both of those ways. In Revelation 3.21, he said, To those who overcome, I will grant them to sit with me on my throne. I love that. I know you guys do too. We all read that and just love it and say, I want to be that. Imagine how big his throne must be. There's room for everybody. Not everybody's going to make it. You can be saved and not be in that place. People want to be overcomers sometimes without overcoming anything. But he said that one was to the overcomers, not to those who are saved. The thing that I have recently discovered about that verse is the second half where Jesus said, just as I overcame and sat next to my father. That's his humanity. He learned obedience through suffering. He learned to follow all the commands of his father and there, thereby, it says, he abided in the love of the father. He walked this out. He didn't say, let me show you how God lives. He said, let me show you how you're supposed to live. That's what Jesus was all about. That's what his life was all about. Somebody say amen. And Jesus equated obedience with loving him. Now here's some more words in red from John 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he will be loved by my Father. You want to be loved by the Father? Look up the commandments of Jesus and obey them. And the ones who are loved by my Father, I will love them. And here's the best part of it. And I will reveal myself to him. That's the key to seeing Jesus. And then one of the disciples, not named Judas, but not Iscariot, said, Well, Lord, why, why are you going to show yourself to us and not everybody else? Again, he's still trying to manage Jesus' ministry. Now, Jesus usually answers the question, someone should have asked. Have you ever noticed that? They ask a question, he answers this other one. And that's the one they should have asked. That's the one they need to know the answer to. So Jesus just acts like he didn't ask that question. But he's talking to him. We know that because he says, Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, I'm saying this again to you, Judas, not Iscariot, in a different way so you'll get it. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will both come to him and we will make our home in him. Man, that's good stuff. And then he reminds us that he followed the same path by obeying his Father. In the ne very next chapter, John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in His love. These are keys for us. If that was important for the one who was the perfect Son of God, 
If that was important for him to do that and to live that way, how important is it for us? Amen? Okay, while I'm on the subject, let me jump a little bit to imagining Jesus on the cross. Because, like I said, like every time I come home on furlough, everybody tells me how bad it's getting, and they're all fed up, and or someone's fed up with somebody else, and all this long face, sad face, I'm discouraged, I'm giving up, and I'm thinking, you've got, you're in the top 1% on the planet. Your life is so good. There's so many billions of people that would trade places with you in a heartbeat. But can you imagine Jesus being that way? Because if we can't imagine him being that way, we shouldn't be that way because we're made in his image, right? Does that make sense? Okay, imagine Jesus two and a half years into his ministry saying, you know what, guys? This sucks. Like we did in 2020. Because in 2020, that was your opportunity to shine. It got dark, it got hard, you had to go through it anyway, you might as well make the most of your trials, right? But imagine Jesus saying, I can't wait for this to be over. Imagine that. I can't wait for this to be over. He'd never say that. Paul said it's through many trials and tribulations that we must enter into the kingdom. If you're not going through any trials, somebody else said this, by the way, so don't, don't get mad at me. I'm just repeating the bad news. If you're not going through any trials or any tribulations, maybe you're not entering the kingdom because that's the way it's entered. And Paul said that after being stoned and drug out of a city and he shook the dust off of himself said it is through many trials and tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And he went right back into the same city that stoned him and stayed there for two days, and then he left. He wasn't going to be led by the circumstances. That's good stuff. Jesus told us another thing he said, it's better that I go away. Listen, do you believe that? It's hard to believe. I want him to come and appear to me. I want him to come stand next to me. You guys want that? I want it so bad, but listen. Listen to this. He says, standing next, he's standing next to the disciples. They can see him. It's not a dream. It's not open vision. It's a visitation. God came in the form of a man and visited the disciples and lived with them. It wasn't a short thing where they scratched their head and went, what was that all about? Well, they sort of did that, but it wasn't short. But I've always thought, man, it would be so good to have that, and I want that. And and Jesus says there's something better than that that you should be longing for, looking to, putting your hope and trust in. The Holy Spirit is not a consolation prize. It's not like, okay, until I get back, he's going to babysit. He, Jesus... Paul talks about all these things and you can almost get the idea with just Paul that the Holy Spirit is here to just to help with the convicting of sin, judgment, and righteousness to help us connect and and see that we're sons and daughters and to cry out to God and help us pray. He's a good tutor and a babysitter. But Jesus said, the words in red, the thunder, it's better for me to go away than for him to come. So what we have right here dwelling within us 
is better. You know, any manifestation of God is His glory, right? Because God's all glorious. Anything you see that's God, it's a manifestation of His glory. Amen? Okay, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whew. You are the only image of God some people will ever see. Think of that. That'll so be upright, but it's good news because the Lord is like, do you guys realize you're my plan? You've always been my plan. From the beginning, I'm God. I don't ever need a plan B because plan A always happens. He knew you before the foundation of the world. You came out of him. In Genesis, what God started, he's finishing. He didn't go on to something else. That's powerful. Okay, I'm going to try to start winding up. You guys know that's another 30 minutes, right? You know the great American dream. William Carey was a powerful missionary. Have you guys heard that name before? And he left behind lots of riches and went to the mission field and laid his life down. And was one of the early first ones to really go to the foreign field and lay his life down and, and see success. And he got interviewed by somebody one time and they said, Are you, is there anything you're not afraid of? And he said, yes, there is. There's one thing I'm afraid of. I'm, I'm afraid of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. That good stuff. Who is right? All right. Romans 8.28 is a great verse. We all know it. God loves those, uh, works together for those, for the good, everything, according to his purpose, right? Many of us have that on our refrigerator. We love it. It's a favorite. It's a good verse. You ever look at the verse after it? I think it's 10 times better. It's my favorite verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. How, what did he predestine us to? To be conformed into the image of his son. You can run a spear through me and this body will fall to the ground and I'll be with him. You will just have released me from the flesh. That honestly, it's a burden, but it's a burden I'm happy to bear. And I'm grateful for the blessing in it. But the real blessing comes when this flesh is gone. And here's what will happen. You'll have to deal with that. But I'll be, I'll be in front of him. And it says, when we see him, we'll be like him. We will see him as he is. Right now we see him part. When we see him, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to stand before him. And I'm going to say, I look just like you. (laughs) I look just like you. Because that's what he's after and he means to get it. He wants family. He wants sons and daughters. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, it says. 
Romans 8, 29, are you kidding me? And you know, it's included, he started in Genesis 1, he created male and female. Women, the guys don't have anything over on you. He created male and female in his image. Amen? You go to some countries and they start shouting me down in the pulpit when I say that. It's very chauvinistic cultures in the world often. But he pulled the woman out of the man. He pulled the female out. Because Adam said, I recognize that. That's me. Except now it's here. And why, why did he do that? He had, okay, remember, it's, this is another sermon. I'm going to do it in two minutes. It is good. It is good. It is good. God created all these things. He spoke light. He spoke the firmament. He spoke the plants. He spoke the animals, the birds. But when he got to man, stop everything. I'm not speaking anymore. I'm becoming involved. God got down and he reached into the ground with his own hands and he pulled up clay. This is something coming from God. He's involved. He's just using part of creation for the house. It's different than animals. And he makes the house in the form of a man, but it's still just the house. It's the tent. It's temporary. And he breathes his spirit in his life. That's who Adam is. It's the life of God. Is that powerful? And says it's good. It's good. Then he says it's not good. What's he doing? Is he saying man is lonely? No. Adam wasn't lonely. Adam had God. They walked together. There was no loneliness. He was complete in Christ. Complete in God. He didn't need anything. But God wanted to fill the earth with his image. And Adam could not procreate alone. That was the object lesson, I believe, from Genesis 1 and 2 there. That's what God was doing. Creation was good, but what God wanted to do through Adam was still incomplete. And I think he drug it out with those transitions to get our attention of something we hardly ever talk about. God wants to fill the earth with his image. He wants you and I to be exactly like Jesus. Not Paul. Not Timothy. Some people can't even be talked into being like the disciples because they go, oh, well, Jesus was talking to the disciples. That's a special high call. Everybody's not called to lay their life down that way or spin themselves that way. But didn't Jesus say in the, in the, in the Great Commission, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. So all that stuff he told the disciples to do, that's us. I'm glad you guys agree with me. That's a lot easier than when it goes the other way. So in Genesis, God makes man, and he never departed from that plan that he wanted to fill the earth with his image. And then when Jesus rises from the dead and, and Mary Magdalene comes to him and he, you know, she, she's holding him. The Greek says she's clinging to him, won't let him go. 
And he says, let me go. I've not, I stopped on the way to the Father. I've been in hell for three days. I haven't even gone to the Father yet, but your love compelled me to stop just for a second and give you a hug. And we know he hugged her because she was clinging to him. And he said, remember, he had just told the disciples three days before, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because friends are let in on the plan. He said, go and tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and their father. The work is complete now. They're brothers. It's family. And then in John 20, Jesus appears to them. And remember what he does. He says, peace. And then he shows them his hands and stuff. And then he says, peace again. Because all they can think about is, you're the one who died and we ran away from you. And he's trying to tell them it's okay. Peace. And then what is it? Do you remember what he does? Who remembers what he does? He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Then, now, there's two times when God breathed on humanity. The first time was in the garden. The second time was in the upper room. After the resurrection, Jesus came full circle. This is where we started. Everything else in between this time was about redemption. Okay, here comes something that might sound like heresy. (laughs) The world is fallen, but you're not fallen. If the Spirit of God lives in you, I've told people, I've said, well, we live in a fallen world, I'm a fallen person, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, if I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I'm still just a sinner. That sucks. (laughs) I told you earlier it sucks to be me. It probably sucks to be you too, but... But only if you're only if you're not realizing <clears throat> we're not falling anymore. Okay, good. So, like I said, Jesus didn't come um, as an example for humanity. I mean, to to humanity, he came as an example for humanity. Not just to show us how God lives, but to show us how we're supposed to live. Jesus is saying, with everything that he did, I believe this with all my heart, he's saying, this is who you are. This is who you are, and you can even take this humanity that I walked in, you can take it farther than I did to those who believe. Because when he said, you'll do greater works, we tend to think he's only talking about miracles. But I think he's talking about more than that. That included, but more than that. Okay. Genesis, I mean, uh, John 20, you know, Jesus breathes on them. And then, uh, I think I'm going to pick up on this next year when I come back, if I get invited back. Because I could start another, but I turn this off. Uh, I could start a whole other thing with this thing I'm looking at, but in John 20, right after he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, he says, do you remember? If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. 
And if you withhold forgiveness, they are not forgiven. That's the words in red. I don't, Lord, give us understanding into that. When Jesus was early in his ministry, they let the guy down through the roof and Jesus saw the guy's pain and, and he ministered to him telling him, you are forgiven. And they murmured. He knew what was in their heart. So that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, rise and walk. Think of that. Now here's Jesus at the end saying, I give you this authority. I'm not saying we take the place of God. I'm saying we are in his image and we're to do the same things he does. And there's something about that. I don't know what to do with the forgiveness part yet. But I know what to do with, wow, if I withhold forgiveness to someone, that's a big deal. I need to make sure that I wouldn't withhold forgiveness to anybody that God wouldn't withhold forgiveness to. And God seems to be in the business of forgiving everyone. First John says, he died not for your sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That means all of them. No one's going to hell for their sins. If you go to hell, it's because you want to be there. You'd rather be there than be with Jesus. You've rejected that provision. So we've got some superpowers, and they aren't being clever. One of them is not being clever on Facebook. <laughs> but we've got some superpowers like forgiveness. And um, anyway, you know, usually about now, I look at my wife and she says, I got something. And she's really good at, at bringing a close, but, uh, and I get her help. But I just want to maybe give you guys an opportunity. Um, can we maybe just do a little worship song or something and, or have somebody come up and play? something. I, I don't want to have an altar call. Yeah, come on up. I don't want to necessarily have an altar call. I certainly don't want you guys to think that if I pray over you, anything special will happen. Um, I like that sort of thing, but I don't think that's what the Lord's doing this morning. But I do know that when we hear a word that challenges us and the Holy Spirit is stirring us, it, it's good to make that connection with each other in the room, which is what we're doing, but also with the Lord at the same time. Not go home and do it. Because sometimes the memory fades, things are forgotten, life takes over. And so I just thought if we could just, maybe just, uh, just touch the Lord together for a minute. Is that okay? Lord, we just want to start with saying that we ask you to forgive us for any times that we convinced ourselves that, oh, that was Jesus, that's not me. No one expects me to live that way. Because I said that many times. Lord, we, we ask you to open our eyes to see how you lived when you walked the earth as a man. Because we know that's our calling. That's our purpose. You don't ask us to do anything. You 
wouldn't do or anything you haven't already done. And we ask you to open our hearts and minds to understand who the Son of Man was and what you did. And how it is, Lord, that you live inside of me and I'm not even aware of it most of the time. How is that even possible? Lord, I just ask you to come. It's, it's, it's Father's Day. And Jesus, you told us all about the Father. And you said everything you did was for him. And that we should follow and walk in that. And Father, we just ask you to make yourself known to us this morning in ways that we've never known you before. Lord, help clear up confused thinking in our minds where we are wrong about you. We need your help with that. Lord, keep it ever before us that we were created in your image, for your image. In Jesus' name, amen.